As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, good morning. Uh, good to have you, those of you here in the room and those joining us online. I uh, would invite you to turn to the passage that Britt just read on the video, and that is Ephesians chapter 2. You can get your a mobile device out, get a Bible app, and go to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. If you have your hard copy of the Bible, turn there, please. And while you're turning there, let me just mention a couple of things. One, thank you for your prayers for me. I uh, was ending my bout with COVID uh, last weekend, thankful for Pastor Brian Howard stepping up and speaking, and I'm feeling good. I've got just some lingering little things yet but not contagious, and I don't think I had a case as severe as some others. Uh, also, I just want to let those of you who are aware of one of our missionary couples, uh, Linus and Sharon Morris. Uh, they served as church planters, planting churches in some of the major cities in Europe. And uh, then for a season, uh, Linus was on the pastoral team here at Calvary, and uh, under the leadership of uh, our founding pastor, Larry DeWitt, and then uh, they have been involved, Linus has been directly involved with his son-in-law, Phil Graff, in helping church planning movements around the world. But this last Wednesday, uh, Sharon stepped into the presence of Jesus. Uh, she had had a stroke a couple of years ago and faced a number of complications, and uh, she is now free of all that. She has graduated to glory. She is with Jesus. But we know for Linus and his children, his grandchildren, this is a difficult time. And so if you know the Morrises, you might want to reach out with a note and uh, just be praying for them and for their family. Also, I want to say that uh, yesterday, the HOPE seminar uh, just was wonderful. And I want to thank all who volunteered and the organizing team and behind the scenes and doing all that. We had uh, hundreds of people here yesterday uh, for a seminar all morning on Alzheimer's and dementia and looking at ways to uh, prevent and to deal with those uh, mental health kinds of things that happen often in aging folks. And uh, folks were out. It was a good day. And I know that um, I, I know Pastor Steve Day and his care team led that and the team with that. I want to thank Steve and those folks. Also, uh, Pastor Dick Thompson and Seasoned Adults, uh, they were a part of that and the planning. And then a special thank you to Craig and Heather Norris. Um, Heather has been battling Alzheimer's for a couple of years, and they shared some of what they've been going through, and that was some of the impetus of this. Their daughter, Britt, who's a part of Calvary, 
uh, spoke yesterday at the beginning, just telling kind of the real life story that I think a lot of folks in the room could identify with. And this was an opportunity for us as a church, not only love on people in our church family, but also there were folks in the community here. And we got to uh, just show them the love of Christ in hosting that yesterday. And so thank you for all who worked on that. I know some small groups of the Norrises and Britt and her family were a part of it, but thank you for the time you put in. And I think that many were blessed uh, by uh, the Hope Seminar. You may be familiar with uh, Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. You know, uh, Les Mis became a Broadway show and many more people became aware of it, but it was one of the best-selling uh, books of the 19th century. And uh, Hugo uh, emphasized in the book a number, 24601. In uh, the day in which he wrote, and it's true throughout most of uh, human history and even in some places today, when someone is put in prison, they're given a tattoo and usually a number. And um, in the case of the main character of Les Miserables, you have Jean Valjean who stole some bread to give to his sister and her children who were starving, but he's put in prison for five years. He's caught up in a, an escape attempt, so they add to his sentence so it becomes 16, 19 years that he's gonna stay in prison. But he's given the number 24601. And that number would then go with him once he was released onto parole. And, he broke his parole and took on a new identity, became the mayor of a city and a factory owner and a very effective part of society, but he'd broken parole. But he still had that number. And that number would remind him of his shame and his guilt and the condemnation that traveled with him. So I, I put uh, the number 24601 here on uh, my arm. It's kind of fading, but I put it on my arm uh, just to kind of illustrate that no matter where he went or what he experienced, he'd be reminded of this impersonal number of condemnation. Now, there have been doctoral theses wrote on what this 24601 means. Uh, there is some hint that uh, Victor Hugo believed that was the day in which he was conceived. He linked it to when King David in the Old Testament talked about how he became a sinner on the day he was conceived and that he's trying to emphasize we're all full of guilt and brokenness and sin and we're all fallen beings by picking that, that that would be the date he uh, assumed he had been conceived. Now, uh, there are a lot of questions about that, but the point was this number would condemn Jean Valjean. Now, in the Broadway version that I saw, when he comes to this moment of catharsis and he is willing to admit who he is in his past, he rips off his shirt and it's tattooed across his chest. And my wife told me it'd be better to put it on my arm <laughs> than to put it on my chest and do something that dramatic. But I've titled today's message 24601. It's an amazing grace story. And all of us who know Jesus have an amazing grace story. Today as we look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we'll see that every individual story of salvation beautifully expresses why God's grace is just so amazing. Because we all, like Jean Valjean, have a condemnation that hovers over us until we come to Jesus. But once we come to Jesus, God's grace saves us and our salvation story is a continuing beautiful expression of this amazing grace of God. Every individual story of salvation beautifully expresses why God's grace is just so amazing. Max Lucado says this about grace. God's grace has a drenching about it, a wildness about it, a white collar, riptide, turn you upside downness about it. 
Grace comes after you. We've talked about how grace is God's goodness toward us that we don't deserve, specifically found in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for us. So why is it that God's grace is so amazing? We sing about it, but what makes this goodness of God that we don't deserve so amazing? Well, I think there are three things here in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and probably this passage is one of the best passages to declare the gospel. It, it speaks of the bad news of our condemnation. It speaks of the good news of salvation in Christ. And it even speaks of how good works fit into this and they flow out of that salvation that we have. The first thing that I think we read in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 that helps us understand why this grace is just so amazing is this. We didn't deserve it. This grace is so amazing because we didn't deserve it. It's found here in verses one through three. You see, nothing in us or about us attracted God's amazing grace toward us. We didn't smile enough. We didn't sort of turn our position toward him enough that he would then look at humanity and send his son to die for us. We didn't deserve it. Look at verses one through three. And these verses describe our state of being before we come to Jesus. If you haven't come to Jesus, these three verses are how God describes you positionally before him today. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in, one, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I want to mention a couple of things here that help us understand how much we didn't deserve God's goodness and grace and love in Jesus. The first one's found in verse one. We were dead. We were spiritually dead, lifeless before God. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Our transgressions are where we cross the boundaries of God's commands. What God has said, we go too far. And the scriptures say we have all trespassed against the boundaries of God's commands. And then the second part of this, you're dead in your sins. This is where we fall short of the character of God. We don't measure up to his holiness. And again, the scriptures say every human being is dead spiritually before God because of our transgressions and our sins. We were dead. Even if we wanna say, well, you know, we can do some good humanitarian things, but the scriptures say that that comes out of our own self-righteousness. And Isaiah the prophet said, even our good deeds are like filthy rags before a holy God. We were dead. Secondly, we were defeated. We were defeated. You'll see in verses two and three that there are three enemies of God and of our lives. There are three enemies that try to thwart our Christian life in our pursuit of following Jesus and living and loving like Jesus in our world today. Those enemies are gonna be described here as the world, the devil, and the flesh. In verse two, it says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. John, the apostle, says the way of the world or the philosophy or thinking or, or, or the idea of the world is that uh, they're filled with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're not talking about the world, the creation, the, the mountains, the oceans. We're talking about a philosophy, a system that pushes us toward pride, toward lust, toward greed. It's the world's philosophy. And he says, 
we used to live, and that word live there in verse two is we walked around in this greed and pride and this lust. It's, it's a word for live that's different than the word we'll see in verse three. This is we just traveled around in that area. And then it says, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who now is at work in those who are disobedient. This is speaking of Satan. The beautiful angel Lucifer, the most beautiful of God's heavenly creation, rebelled against God, was cast along with other angels that rebelled with him, and now we have Satan and the demons doing all they can to thwart the plan of God, to, to distract and discourage and to defeat believers, to keep those who don't know Christ from coming to Christ. And he is alive and well, and he's fanning all the flames he can fan to stop us from thriving and flourishing in Christ. And then it, it says that this, this is the one who is influencing all of the evil and he's behind the scenes just promoting all of this. And in a moment, we'll see in verse three, he'll talk about the, the, we were gratifying the cravings of our flesh following its desires. We just lived out the reality of our sin nature. See, since Adam and Eve, all of us are born with a sin nature, with our backs toward God. Some people would say, well, you know, when we sin, that proves that we are sinners. No, it's actually, when we sin, we're, we're proving that that sin nature was all along there. We are, we are people who, by the bent of our lives, our propensity, because of our fallenness in our nature, is to sin. Some people say, well, I just don't see that. Well, watch a little baby, how precious they are, right, when they're born. Teach that child to walk and talk. Begin to watch as some of their own selfishness and impulses come out. It's because we all have a bent towards sinning. Our sin proves that we are sinners. And, and we are defeated. Without Christ, we are in defeat when it comes to the world, the flesh, and the devil. A lot of people think, well, the world and the devil, those are really formidable enemies, and yes, they are. But for me, I find my own flesh often wants to jump at that which the world dangles and that Satan is whispering and stirring up around me. It's that old sinful nature. But we were defeated. We were dead. We were defeated. You know, even in, in this defeated state, we think more sin will be better. So we kind of get on the hamster wheel that I went this far in, in that pornography or went this far in that relationship, but it wasn't just enough. I got to go a little further, a little further, a little further, a little further. And the farther and farther I go, we're on this hamster wheel and there's no satisfaction that the sin itself becomes part of the condemnation and the curse. We get trapped in it. We get defeated. There's an old Southern gospel song that says, sin will take you farther than you wanna go, keep you longer than you wanna stay, and cost you more than you wanna pay. We were defeated. Thirdly, we were doomed. We were doomed. All of us lived among them. Now this is, this lived is different than walk around in that we saw in verse two. This is we lived among them. We were on the same journey. What is the journey? It's what Jesus called the broad path that leads to destruction. We all lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, like everybody else, we were by nature deserving of wrath. There is this judgment that hovers over every human being since Adam and Eve sinned. It is this curse of death and judgment that we, we will face in eternity separated from God in a place called hell. 
A lot of people say, well, don't, don't talk about God's wrath. Well, notice here, we were like those under wrath, but in Christ and grace, we're removed from that wrath. There is no condemnation for those who know the Lord. But before you come to Jesus, there is this condemnation over you. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to tell you or to say the world that it's condemned because it's already condemned. I came to bring the solution. But it's also interesting that Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. Why? Because if you're gonna understand the good news of God's grace, you gotta face the reality of our guilt and our shame and our sin before God, the problem. We gotta face the bad news to fully grasp the good news. And while it's not popular today to talk about hell or wrath or separation from God, we need to face the reality that we are doomed without Christ. And this world is not our permanent dwelling place. This life is short. I have people say, well, I'll, I'll wrestle with the things of Jesus later. And I'm right now in this stage of my life and when I get out of college or when we get kids and we get established, we'll start getting serious about things. And maybe I'll, I'll think about coming to Jesus as my savior and make Christianity a part of my life. And we're talking about your eternal destiny and we're talking about your relationship to Christ. Remember, the scriptures say that our life is here but for a moment and then gone. The scriptures use the description of a flower quickly fading, a wave tossed in the ocean, vapor in the wind. And as you sit today, either that condemnation has been removed in Christ or it is still hovering over you. We were doomed. There is this great point in Les Miserables and even in the 2012 uh, film version of that with Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe and others where where the Jean Valjean character now is hiding his identity. He's got that, that number 24601 tattooed to him, but he's become the mayor. And they've arrested another person they think is 24601 and is Jean Valjean. And, and um, it causes him this moment to really consider who he was. And he asks the question, who am I? And then he realizes that he is Jean Valjean and he needs to come clean and admit his guilt. And so he rushes into the courtroom acknowledges that the one who is there is not 24601, he is. Watch this clip. Who am I? Can I condemn this man to slavery? Pretend I do not feel his agony. This innocent who bears my face, who goes to judgment in my place, who am I? Can I conceal myself forevermore? Pretend I'm not the man I was before. That must my name until I die. Be no more than an alibi, must I lie? How can I ever face my fellow men? How can I ever face myself again? My soul belongs to God, I know. I made that bargain long ago. He gave me hope when hope was gone. He gave me strength to journey on. Who am I? Who am I? Jean Valjean. Monsieur le maire. And so, Your Honor, you see it's true. This man bears no more guilt than you. Who am I? Two, four, six, oh, one. 
There is a place that every human being has to come to where we understand our guilt and our shame and our past and recognize that without Christ, we are dead, we're defeated, we're doomed. We come to this place where we say, I get it, God. I don't measure up to who you are. And then we turn to his amazing grace. We didn't deserve this grace, but God offered that grace to us. I like how Erwin Lutzer says that there is more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your past. And we turn to verse four. And some of you in your Bibles, verse four starts, but God. Some versions and in the originals kind of put that way, but God. And there could be two different words used for but in the original Greek. One is kind of a light contrast and the other is like a strong contrast with an exclamation point. And this is a strong contrast. We were dead. We were doomed. We didn't deserve it. And we didn't design it. Verses four through seven will show us. We didn't design it. Nothing we planned or initiated positioned us for God's amazing grace. There wasn't some idea that Sean came up with or the apostles came up with or the early church came up with or Calvary came up with. This is from the heart and mind of God as we saw in Ephesians chapter one. God designed this amazing grace, this plan of redemption. Look at verse four. We're dead, we're defeated, we're doomed, but because of his great love for us, God, and again, some of your translations might say, but God, because of his great love. But God, my two favorite words in the English language, but God. Because of his love, why did he show you his grace? Why has he shown me his grace? Because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, not only does he give us what we don't deserve, he holds back, mercy is he holds back that wrath, that judgment we do deserve, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You just take Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 this week, or right there where you sit, and underline every time it's in him, with Christ, in Christ. When you ask the question of who you are, apart from Christ, you're nothing more than a number, you're nothing more than one who is condemned, but with Christ, in Christ, that's the distinction here in this amazing grace. You see, his love gave us life. His love gave us life. Life, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. He completed bringing us back from spiritual death to life. His love gave us life while we were still dead. The scriptures say that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are three verbs here in verses four through seven that are critical. This first one is found in verses four and five, made us alive. He gave us life. Now, some of you who maybe know the Princess Bride, you know, Miracle Max in the Princess Bride, and he gets into a debate of whether someone is sort of dead or mostly dead, and then he breathes life into the mostly dead, Wesley, the main character, and, and there's some question if they're dead or alive. There is no question in God's mind, every human being on earth is either spiritually dead or spiritually alive. The difference is salvation 
that comes by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. No in-between. A couple of years ago, our dog was getting up in years, about 10 years of age, Betsy, a beautiful Westie, and our kids knew the dog well, and we had her in our home. You know how that goes. You get attached, and Betsy was pretty sick, and she was literally walking around moaning, and I'd been at the vet before, and we were talking about the dog getting up in age, and I thought, okay, this is it. We got to take the dog and have her put down and you know, put to sleep, and so I had the kids and Leslie. We all said goodbye to Betsy, and I took her to the vet, and they said goodbye. A couple of them had to go to school early, said goodbye the night before, and it's like the dog heard us talking because she got up the next day wagging her tail and no more moaning. We get to the vet. She's licking the receptionist's hand. She's kind of jumping around. The vet comes into the room and says, what's wrong with this dog? The dog looks great. I'm saying, this dog's been howling and moaning and can't get up on anything and falls over and it's just terrible. She's, we, we just got to probably, it's probably time. And she said, I did some tests and said, oh, I, it's just a little infection. We give her a pill. I think this dog will live another three or four years. So here I come home with the dog we've all said goodbye to. About a year later, she's back in this situation. I'm thinking, okay, this is it. Have the kids say goodbye to the dog. Same thing happens. It's like she heard us talking the next day. She's all perky and greets the receptionist. The vet comes in again and says, you know, this dog has a lot of energy. You keep trying to bring this dog in to put it to sleep. And and she, again, there's an infection and, and it wasn't, it was another three or four. So I go back home with the dog again and the vet had said three or four years and it was another three or four years that dog lived. Now for that dog, it seemed like there was a question of life or death here. But when it comes to our standing before the holy God, we either are still in our dead, defeated, doomed state with the curse of God's wrath hovering over us or we have been completely freed and made alive in Christ. There's no in-between. Secondly, his love gave us victory. I mentioned the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it can seem at times in this, in this experience of life that, that we're, we're behind and that somehow we're losing the war. We read in verse six, and God raised us up with Christ. He raised us up above these things, so that we, we understand his love gave us victory while we were still defeated. And sometimes it looks like in our battle of this life and dealing with addiction and sin and our struggles and our relationships and our thoughts and our wrestling with greed and lust and pride, it can feel like we, we are being defeated, but in Christ, we are victorious. The war has already been won. His love gave us victory. That third, excuse me, that second verb is he raised us up. He made us alive. He raised us up. And then his love gave us hope. His love gave us hope while we were still doomed. That moment we come to the point where we say, yes, I am guilty before you, God. I need a Savior. I put my faith in what Jesus did on the cross for me. And we put our faith in the one who was crucified, buried, and raised. And as he was raised, he conquered death and sin and hell and that curse hovering over us. We say yes to him. We are given hope. Hope. Someone has said that when you come to Jesus, your address is no longer here in this world. It's in heaven. Someone else has said that faith or hope is just faith on tippy toes. Hope is faith, trusting in Jesus, but hope has got our eyes on our eventual 
address. It's gonna be with him forever. And then no matter what goes on in this life and the struggles we have and as we deal with our sin before him and we confess it, we still have our hope in him. And once he has made us alive and once he has given us ultimate victory and once he has given us this hope, nothing can take that away. Jesus said, no one can pluck you out of my father's hand. We read in the last part of verse six, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realm. See where your positional address is now. Remember, the first three chapters of Ephesians talks about who we are before God in our position, our position in Christ. The last three chapters of this book talk about how we live because of that, but we have to understand that if you know Jesus as your savior, your permanent address, you are currently seated positionally in heaven and that will never change, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We become trophies of his grace. We become a demonstration throughout the ages of his goodness and his love. I always have people who say to me, well, what can cause me to fall out of that love relationship? What could cause my address to be lost there? What could cause me to lose hope or to go back to that deadness? Nothing. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, when writing to the Roman church, put it this way, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? That's what he says to the Romans in Romans 8, 35, 38 through 39. He says, no, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He, sa he saved us, and his grace that saved us is the same grace that keeps us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Charles Wesley in 1738 came to that place. We understood he was a sinner, felt the weight of his guilt and shame, and he confessed before God he needed a savior and put his faith in Christ to save him. In that moment he did, he experienced God's amazing grace. It caused him to ask the question, how can it be? How can it be that I should gain an interest in my savior's blood? How is it? And there's a great hymn that he wrote based on just wrestling with the wonder and awe of God's amazing grace. It's, and can it be? And Josh has joined us here at the piano, and I'd like us all to sing this together with Josh, just a couple stanzas of the great hymn, And Can It Be? And as you ask the question, how can it be that God would do this for me? In the lyrics of this song, let your heart just be filled with wonder and awe and praise for the love of God. Thank you, Pastor Sean. Church, would you sing this with me? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? And died He for me
So much, Josh. All the lyrics that Charles Wesley penned in 1738 still ring true, don't they? This amazing grace. Why is God's grace so amazing? We didn't deserve it. We were dead, defeated, and doomed. We didn't design it. His love gave us life while we were still dead. His love gave us victory while we were still defeated. His love gave us hope while we were still doomed. And thirdly, we didn't do it. Not only did we not deserve it, not only did we not design it, but we didn't do it. There is nothing we have done at all in any way to receive or deserve this amazing grace. We didn't do it. Nothing we tried or accomplished added anything to God's amazing grace. Not one of us here met him part way. Not one of us cleaned ourselves up or dealt with the past or did something to add to what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary and to what Jesus did in conquering the grave and hell and death itself in his resurrection. Nothing we tried or accomplished added anything to God's amazing grace. So what does that mean? He did it. He did it. Romans 8 through 10, 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. That word handiwork there is where we get our word poem. It's poema in the original. Speaks of this great work of art that we are. We are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Oh, now at the very end, the very last line of this gospel story, we see a reference to good works and how they fit into all of this. But we didn't do it. He did it. How did he do it? For it is by grace you've been saved. You see, it's by grace that we are forgiven of our sins, made God's child, given a permanent address in heaven, and given the comforter to walk with us here day by day in this life. By grace, that's the act. 
but it's through faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith. Faith is the access to that grace. So the moment that when I as a boy understood I was a sinner in need of a Savior and I expressed my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ for me, in the personal work of Jesus, at that moment, God's grace saved me. At the moment I expressed my faith, I experienced his saving grace. For each of you in your story, if you came to that place where you understood you were guilty before God and you, you came to him and said, I need Jesus as my Savior. In that moment, you expressed your faith. You experienced his saving grace. Your sins were removed as far as the east is from the west. You were made his child. Now, if you're here today and you've, you've thought, well, it's because of the family I was born into. It's because I'm a Christian and you know, I'm just not this religion or that religion. I've just made that my choice as my religion or it's because I was born in America or because I've been in this position in a church for a long time or that position. None of that is what saves us. It's only by God's grace as we express our faith in Jesus that any of us experience the amazing grace of God. Can I just say if you're here, you say, wait a minute, I, I, I don't think I've come to that place where I, before God, have expressed my faith in Jesus that I needed him as a savior. Then you need to do that today. Right where you sit, just talk to God. Don't even listen to the rest of what I'm saying. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you want to talk to one of us. I'll be out on the patio. You can speak to me. We have our care and prayer team down front after the service. They'll, they'll speak to you or pray about any need you might have. But specifically, if you have questions about what it means to express your faith in Christ and experience his saving grace now and forever. Come and speak to them. Perhaps you're in the room or you're online and you'd like to communicate with us through texting. You can just take the name Jesus and put that in the message of the text and text it to the number below me on the screen. And as you send that name Jesus in a text to that number, you'll receive just some resources to help you know what it means to be God's child, to experience his amazing grace, and now to walk with him. And we'll follow up with you and make sure that someone on our team helps you in this journey. But understand that salvation is something God does. We have no part in it except for our expression of faith in the finished work of Jesus. He did it by grace. That's the act. Through faith, that's the access. Secondly, he did it as a gift. He did it as a gift. This is so clear in verses 8 and 9, the last part of verse 8. And this is not from yourselves. There it is again. It's not us. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He did it as a gift. No work is required. It's all grace. You don't give someone a gift and say, you know, to your grandchild on their birthday, you don't say, here's your Christmas present. Now you have to mow grandma's lawn three times, and here's your birthday present. Same as it is with God's salvation, he offers it as a gift. No work required, no bragging allowed. No bragging allowed. So no one can boast. You don't receive a gift and then brag about how great you were in picking that gift for you or giving that gift for you. No bragging allowed. He did it as a gift. That's what makes this grace so amazing. Paul said it this way to, to Titus in Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. It was all done by him. He did it as a gift. He did it, he did it as a gift, and he did it as a gift for us, verse 10. He did it as a gift for us. 
Look at verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. In our salvation, we're given new life and we become new creatures and things begin to change from the inside out. We become his beautiful work of art, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Again, notice our identity is not some label we pick up here as we walk in life. Our identity when we know Christ is rooted in who Jesus is. We were created in Christ Jesus by his amazing grace. For what purpose? Now look where works fit in. To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good works are not the requirement for salvation. They are the result of salvation. We are not saved by our good works. We are saved for good works. Good works are not the root of our salvation. Good works are the fruit of our salvation. We don't even do our good works to prove something to him. We do it out of gratitude for his grace and it fuels us forward. He did it as a gift for us so we could be his masterpiece that might shine through the ages and that we might shine as we live in love like Christ as he molds us and shapes us more like Jesus here on earth from the inside out and so we could fulfill his master plan. Notice it says here that this was his plan all along which God prepared in advance for us to do. It goes back to what we read in chapter one that he prepared us to one day stand before him blameless and holy, he also planned for us that when he would make us new and he'd save us by his amazing grace, that we get to then live and love like Jesus with our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, our friends. We get to shine as light in this dark world to bring the hope of God's amazing grace to others. This was God's plan all along. Now, many of you have seen what God has done to change your thinking, your attitudes, your relationships, your behaviors. You can see God working in you since you came to Christ. We had a great story this week here at Calvary. There's some young men who were part of a new prototype ministry within our our special abilities ministry. In the special abilities ministry, they not only minister to kids, but also to adults. And there are some young people in their 20s who age out of the system, if you will, the school and the regional centers and what they provide to help uh, those with special needs and disabilities. And some of them, though, you know, they can't get a job, they can't go to work. Some can, but some aren't to that place of functioning yet. And so they're kind of left in limbo. And Pastor Gina Spivey and her team, Hannah Snoots and and, uh, Paulina Lasky, um, they put their heads together, talked with some parents. They got a group of four guys together, just four, and they, they decided they start with this group, start small, and every Tuesday from, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., they're on our campus, these four guys, and these three ladies work with them, and um, they've partnered with our outreach, and we have Fresh Market where we give away fresh produce to people in need every Tuesday morning, and the folks there welcome them in, and they're serving there, then they have lunch together, they have a little Bible study based on the devotional that was uh, shared at the top of the French for the fresh market and then they uh, play a few games and they go home but they're called the A-team and I love the, the name A-team and, and Gina shared this with me that it means this adults on mission together in ministry and able to lead able to serve made by God and here they are in their simple sweet childlike faith serving other people in need. And one of the moms sent a note after the first Tuesday, this last Tuesday. They're going to do this each Tuesday, and they'll try to find opportunities for more to join them and to do it in other ministries around our community. But this is the note one mom sent to Gina about her son, Alec, who was a part of that 
that group you saw in the photo a moment ago. Hi, my friends, the mom writes. So our son Alec made his dad, Gary, cry today. My husband works a late shift and gets home after midnight. Last night he was surprised to walk in the door and find our son waiting for him. He couldn't wait to tell his dad about this day. Gary said the kid's face was beaming as he proceeded to cover every detail of his A-team adventure. How good our son felt knowing that he was helping people in need. How happy he was to give them desserts. He was in the dessert spot handing out the, that part of what the folks got. How delighted he was that everyone seemed to understand what he was saying. He has some struggles in communicating as part of his challenge. And how special he felt to be chosen for a pilot program. And how independent he appeared because he only needed a little help from Hannah. It was truly a miraculous day. And we are so grateful. Thank you for all your genuine love, interest, and enthusiasm as you lead our son and help him to discover his purpose. We have never experienced anything like this. Much love, Kim. Isn't that sweet? Even in simple faith, we can be a testimony of God's goodness and grace. And part of what his grace does for us, yes, it gives us that life and that victory and that hope, but he makes us his masterpiece so now we can live out the reality of Christ and the world around us can see Jesus just like Jesus was seen in all who served in the fresh market and how the A-team joined in with them. In Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, we have one of the best passages describing the gospel, the good news. And can I encourage you to read Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 every morning this week before you leave home? Maybe read it in a different translation. You go to BibleGateway.com and get a different translation of it. Because when we understand the gospel as his children, we are in the grip of his amazing grace. It changes everything. Timothy Keller says, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe. You're more loved than you ever dared hope. Charles Spurgeon said, the most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel. Let's remind ourselves of the gospel this week. If you know Jesus, there is no condemnation anymore, Romans 8.1 says. In Christ, we are freed by his amazing grace to live fueled by that grace so that others see Jesus in and through us. Does God's amazing grace empower you to live out the good works God has planned for your life? Does God's amazing grace do that for you? You see, each individual story of salvation in this room expresses the beauty of God's amazing grace. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. Just talk to the Lord a moment. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, just right now say, God, I confess, this is who I am. I, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I put my faith in Jesus. As you express your faith in Jesus, you'll experience God's saving grace. And your permanent address will be with Jesus. Just talk to him. And again, I'll be here out on the patio, our care team down front. Reach out to us at the church this week. We want to celebrate with you. Child of God, just thank God for his amazing grace. Let that grace soak in again. That You were once dead, defeated, and doomed, but now you're alive. The war is won, and you have hope. Remind yourself that you're God's masterpiece that he's going to use for his glory as you do the good works that come out of salvation.